Okay, so today we're going to talk about the devil is not the thief, religion is. So how many of you guys have heard that the devil will come like a thief in the night? Well, pretty common expression that we use. Um, not necessarily that that's an incorrect statement, um, but in the Bible, that particular verse in John actually doesn't mean that. Um, if you go through like context in John and really understand what Jesus is saying in this passage, you actually understand that he's not talking about the devil being a thief in the night. He's talking about basically religion. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, here tonight. I want you guys to catch something really important here as we start. So, when you go through the Bible and you study Scripture, and this is kind of your point earlier, Aaron, about, you know, how do you back up what you believe in? One of the ways you can do that is through hermeneutics, which hermeneutics is a study of Scripture, like really in-depth. So not just reading the Scripture, but really trying to read it and understand the context behind it, what was happening historically in that time period. Um, because the more you know about the culture, what was happening historically in the world uh, during the time this was written, it helps you understand what, what the passage actually means, and then it helps you apply it to your life today. So that's what hermeneutics is, is a very in-depth kind of study of Scripture. And the biggest thing I want you guys to remember about studying Scripture is context, okay? Many times people take one verse from the Bible and say, well, the Bible says this, so it must mean I can live this way. Well, the Bible says this, so it must mean that Christianity supports this call or this cause. The problem with that, though, is that many times those verses are taken way out of context. Because if you read the rest of the passage, and you read like before and after, you, you get a bigger picture of what the actual meaning of that passage is, of that, of that scripture. And it may change your whole lot of thinking. And today's, today's a great example in John chapter 10. So I want to read you guys all verses 1 through 2, and kind of set the scene here, for this later on verse, it gets very, very misinterpreted. So in John chapter um, 10, I'm sorry, John 10, starting in verse 1, it says, this is Jesus, by the way, Jesus is talking here. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So I want you guys to think about this concept here, okay? And we set the scene. Jesus is talking about shepherd and sheep. Now, he's not talking about a real shepherd and real sheep, okay? He's using that imagery here to talk about a bigger concept. What I want you guys to, to take note of here is Jesus is talking to a certain group of people. Anybody know who he's talking to in this passage? Starts with a P. The Pharisees. So the Pharisees in this time were the religious leaders of the day. But they were all about following rules and doing this and this and this. And if you want to be a good Christian, you have to follow all these things here and you have to do all these things. And it was, yeah, it was very, well, yeah, no, I'm sorry, I said Christian. It was Jew back then. And it was very ritualistic, okay? And basically, the way you got into power, sometimes it wasn't necessarily the one that knew the most scripture or the one that followed God the most. Maybe simply because you knew somebody else, you had a certain connection or some kind of political power. It was a very corrupt kind of system. And so Jesus is addressing the Pharisees here, which are the religious leaders of the time. 
And he tells them this imagery here about shepherd and sheep. Now, if you're looking at a religious leader and looking at people that, the people that they lead, who do you think the shepherd is? Who do you think, do you think the sheep are?
follow me, and I'm the one that's going to bring you to the glory land, or I'm the one that's going to bring you to the promised land kind of thing, and they're all about themselves and their agendas, he's saying they're not the true shepherd. Because when they, and the sheep follow them, they don't get led into life and everlasting. Eventually they get led to destruction. And, and it doesn't actually fulfill them and give them true joy and true life. Um, and so Jesus is saying those are the thieves and the robbers that try to, that try to lead the sheep without going to Jesus. Does that make sense? Uh, okay, it's going to make a little more sense here in a second. Then it says in verse 8, all, I'm sorry, this is repeating here. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, which again, we can talk about why, why he says that. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. It will go in and out and find pasture. Now, catch this, you ready? Then in verse 10 it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come, they may have life. And then they have it more abundantly. So in no way in that passage he's talking about Satan. He's talking about the religious leaders. Uh, he's talking about the religious leaders being thieves. Um, and basically what he's saying is, if you follow religion over me, and you follow what these religious leaders are promoting and teaching and preaching outside of me, then you're going to be led astray. And you're never going to find the true green pasture and the true life that I'm coming to give you. Because if you follow anybody else in this world, eventually it's going to lead to destruction and spiritual devastation. If you follow me, though, and you, put your, you give your life to me, eventually you'll have eternal life, and I'll give you a peace and a joy that only comes from me. So that's what Jesus kind of saying here. And here's what you have to think about here. He says to enter through the door, or you can enter another way. The doorway basically means, again, if you're coming to a spiritual leadership position, or you're doing... You know, you can almost apply to anything in life. You have to do it through a call by Jesus first and foremost. Because Jesus is the door. If you try to do something outside of God's will without him leading you into that, it's never going to work out uh, great in the end. You may have success for a little bit of time, but eventually it's going to fail. So Jesus says that basically if you're going to be a leader in society, you're going to be a leader in the church, you have to make sure you're called by me first to do that. Don't just do it on your own accord. Then also, you need to make sure you have a genuine care for people. You know, a shepherd back then, like I said, he was sleeping the night by his sheep to protect him from the wolves and from the evil. So he put his own life at risk. And ultimately, Jesus ended up dying for all of us on the cross because he loved us that much. And so you have to have a genuine care for people. Uh, and then you have to have a heart for the lost. It's about the Bible of shepherds. He leaves the 99 to go out to the one because every sheep matters to him. So if, you go in a, if you're in a church and you say, hey, well, you know, all the people here are saved, but there's a whole bunch of lost from outside our walls, you're going to have a heart for how can we reach those people too? How can we go out and show the gospel to them? Because until all the sheep are saved, our job as shepherds aren't really done. And then you do it in humility, knowing that, again, only, you can only do these things through the power of Jesus. And you do it with sacrificial love. Now, Jesus says, a lot of spiritual leaders, though, they come in like thieves in the night. And why does they thieves in the night? Part of it is because of this. Because they're going around the door. So think about this. If someone breaks into your house, they may have to go through the front door. Okay? Some people do. They're pretty eager. But um, well, a lot of times, especially back then, they wouldn't go through the front door. 
It might go in the window or try to find a hole in the roof or all kinds of crazy things to get in. So that's what Jesus is saying there. These people that are leading sheep, there's a lot of these in society, and they're, they're leading people in my name, quote-unquote, but they're not going through me. And so you have people out there teaching prosperity gospel, people saying things that are totally anti uh, what the scripture says, taking verses out of context, and Jesus warns us we have to be aware of that. That's out there today. So that's why when you hear pastors say something, don't just take their word for it. Go back and study on your own. Pray about that. You know, if something, if something seems odd to you, study the scripture, see if it's true or not. Because there's a lot of people out there today that are doing it for their own glory, their own praise, their own agenda. And if you're doing it for that reason, you're going around Jesus, you're going around the door to lead the sheep. And if you do that, you're not going to lead the sheep in the right way. And eventually those sheep are going to be led to destruction and misery. Yeah, you could say that, yeah. It's just, he's not the main thief in this he's, passage. He's just not what Jesus was talking about. Yeah, in this passage, yeah. Um, yeah, the devil's definitely behind all, this, all the evil, though. Um, yeah, like I said, it's not necessarily a wrong statement saying that. It's just in this passage, it's, it's um, out of context. Um, so any, any other way to come into power or to do something, to, you know, for Christ would be to come into power by connections, political people, people you know, do it with a personal praise, your own agenda, the desire to manipulate people, do what you want them to do. A lot of people come into leadership and, and power and, and, and uh, positions of power, not because they necessarily want to lead them into the truth of Jesus Christ, it's because they just like the concept of being able to control people and to manipulate people and to make them do what they say and to feel in power and feel in charge. And if you start seeing that in a leader, there's a, there's a real red flag that, hey, this person's not going through the door. You know, they're, they're coming to destroy. Uh, and things are going to get bad again. Uh, they, they love the power and control, and eventually they, they may seek to bring forth corruption. So I want you guys to think about tonight. That's what I want to challenge you with. What is the difference, then, between religion and a relationship with Christ? And I want to give you guys a few notes here. I want to take your opinions here tonight. So religion could be any religion. Now again, they weren't Christians back then, they were Jews, so he's talking to Jewish leaders. Um, so religion could be any religion. Most religions are going to have, are going to be about following a set of rules. Okay? Following a set of rules. What are some other characteristics of religions out there today? Like just, just straight up religion. Like if you were to look at all the religions in the world today, what are some similarities religions have in common? Complexity and orthodoxy. Yes. Okay. Like really it's all complex rituals. Yada yada yada. Okay, yeah. Gracie said, uh too late, late. Worship many beings. A lot of times they don't have one God, they have many beings or leaders they worship.
this right here. Where if you're if you're so like a king or a queen or if you rise to some kind of reigns in the worldly powers and you do so many kind of political things, then you'll be rewarded not only on earth in the afterlife as well. Okay, a lot of it depends on your power and position, your social status here on earth, uh, behavior as well. Uh, if you follow the rules well or if you do certain acts of kindness to people outside of just the typical rules, you get rewarded in the end, and that's how you make it to heaven. You know, that you know, salvation is based off of this. Caitlin? So, just change your mind. Religion uh -huh. is something that you do, I guess, and our relationship is something you work to. Yeah, that's good. No, the, yeah, that's good. So, religion is more of an act. Um, yeah, it's more of an act. It's something that you participate in. So, this, now listen, this is what Jesus is preaching against in this passage. He's saying if somebody comes and is all about religion and they don't talk about the relationship with me, again, they don't go through the door, the, the, the entire purpose of this, then you're missing the entire mark completely. Because think about this. Um, salvation in Christianity doesn't come from what kind of works you do. It comes from the work that Jesus already did on the cross. And so the only thing that we have to do is, is, as human beings is admit that we're a sinner, repent, and give our lives to Jesus, uh, acknowledging that he is our Lord and our Savior. And when we do that, he saves us from our sins. And we begin a relationship with him. In the Bible, Jesus says he's our friend. And, you know, in the Bible, Jesus talks about, you know, leaving us with the Holy Spirit, which is our comforter, our guidance. So he's always with us. He talks about the Great Commission to go forth and make the silence of all nations. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you do, what? I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So it's a relationship. It's not that if you do this, 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 I'll love you. Jesus says, I'll love you no matter what if you give your life to me. So think about all the things you've done wrong in your life and all the things, you know, people have done in this world that is just sinful and corrupt. The worst, the worst sinner, somebody that murdered a lot of people or whatever you want to say, Jesus is still chasing after them because, again, he's the great shepherd. He's prepared to leave the 99 and go after that one. You know, he's prepared to do whatever it takes to, to, to shield the evil off and to bring that person back into his life. And so... That is a relationship. Because religion is going to preach that if you don't do certain things, you don't earn God's love. You know, if you're not a, a, such, a, such a good person, then you're not going to have God's love or favor. And when you die, you're going to hell, basically, or whatever they say. But Jesus says, no matter what you've done so far, if you turn back in repentance to me, I can, I can set you free and give you a new life and, and I'll, I'll erase all those sins you committed, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you eternity in heaven with me. That's a relationship. That's true love. That's sacrificial love. You're not going to get that from a religion. 
And so that's what Christianity sets you apart from other religions, is it's a relationship other than a religion. Now, what you guys also think about this. A religion, if you have a religion, this causes fear and anxiety. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think religion causes fear and anxiety in people? Because people get Yeah, true. So think about this. If you can convince people that if you don't do this, 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 you're going to hell, basically. Like, if you don't go out this weekend, rather, if you don't go out this weekend to this distribution, if you don't go out this weekend to do this, well, you're doomed forever. That's going to sell a lot of fear in you, and you're going to be like, well, crap, i got to go do this now. You know, and it's it becomes a, you feel like you're obligated to do these things. Also, think about this. If you have that mindset of, if I do this or this, and I mess up, I make a mistake, then all of a sudden God doesn't love me anymore, or God's not going to use me anymore. If you have that kind of mindset in life, you're going to always be on edge. Every time you make a mistake, you're going to have anxiety, you're going to be, you're going to be nervous, and, and you're not going to live in freedom. And Jesus says that he calls us to live in a life of freedom. A life free of our guilt, free of our shame, because he set us free. Um, so I want you guys to think about that in a relationship. Aaron. And almost done there. In a relationship, this produces freedom. Okay, this produces freedom. How do I communicate that very So if you're in a conversation with somebody, um, you can say that uh, any, any religion you look at today outside of Christianity is going to have a set of rules to follow. And basically, if you don't follow those rules and you don't do certain things, you're not going to earn God's favor or approval. Christianity is different because we don't have to earn God's favor or approval. He's done the work through Jesus on the cross. We just have to give our lives to him. And, we, and no matter no matter what we do, he never he promises never leaves or forsake us. So like in other religions, their god or deity, do you say you start following Buddha or somebody, and and then you do something against the Buddhist religion? Well, then they may say, well, okay, all of a sudden you're not Buddhist anymore because you done messed up, Caitlin. Like you can't follow Buddha anymore. Um, but some people debate that Buddhism is a lifestyle. It's it's in, yeah, that's a bad bad example. But um, but in Christianity, if if you know, if you say you're a Christian, you give your life to Christ, you're a true Christian, and you're following Him, but then in life you make a mistake, you do something you're not supposed to do, you know, you feel bad about it. Jesus is not just going to leave you and say, "Okay, well, hey, you had your chance, now you're done." No, He's going to say, "You know, come back with open arms. I'll forgive you, and I'll give you, I'll give you the wisdom and guidance to move past this and use that mistake for my glory." God hates gay people or stuff like that. Yeah, and so, and that's, and that's, so I want you guys to think about this. This is what I thought about. This is a good example. So a lot of people argue, well, Christianity, all those relationships, it seems like they have a lot of rules in the Bible. I want you guys to think about this here, okay? I want you guys to think about this. Think about a marriage. Because in the Bible, that's, that's what... That's the example Jesus uses between the church and, like, which is us 
and him. The reason he uses a marriage as an example is because if you're married to a person, then you're going to desire to do the things that they want you to do, okay? You're going to try to love them the right way and things like that. But if you make a mistake, now God being like, you know, talking about adultery stuff, I'm not like more of a minor mistake. Uh, but if you make a mistake in a relationship, like say you, you know, you promised you were going to do something with them that weekend and you fell through that commitment, you know, or you said something mean to them you shouldn't have said. You know, you can name all kinds of examples. Then in a marriage, that person still should still forgive you wholeheartedly because they love you. And although you made a mistake, your marriage is not over. You know, if you're dating somebody and you say something mean to that person or something goes wrong, you fall through a commitment, the person may say, okay, well, fine, just break it off, I'm done. But if you decide to marry that person, then you marry them for better or for worse. Meaning that, hey, there's going to be trials in life because that person's not perfect. But when they make a mistake, I'm going to forgive them, move past it, and continue that relationship. However, if, the, if you are in a marriage, though, both people in that marriage, husband and wife, should desire to not make those mistakes. Although they know that forgiveness is there, and they know that person is committed to them for life, if you truly love that person, you're going to try to follow through on your commitments. So if you know that that person wants you to do, do, do something this weekend, you're going to try to do it. If you know that person um, doesn't want you to go out to that party or that event, you're not going to do it. So the same thing is true in our Christian life. Jesus is saying, Although there's forgiveness of sins, when you make a mistake, if you truly love me and you're going to be in a relationship with me, you should desire to live the way that I want you to live. And that's through God's Word. So you look at God's Word, He tells you, hey, homosexuality is wrong, abortion is wrong, things like that, then it means that I'm going to actively try to not support those things, and I'm going to try to live in the way that God's called me to live because I love Him and I'm in a relationship with Him. And if I mess up, there's forgiveness, but I'm trying to live for him. Yeah, Aaron? I'm going to make my uh, argument in using interesting together. You because, like, some of them believe in, like, uh, you know the whole anti-marriage agenda and stuff? stuff I like think that. so. Uh, like, like uh, you know, some people don't care about keeping themselves to, like, only their wife. Or sometimes they'll be like, oh, my goodness. My my relationship got stale. I had to cheat and had gay sex with you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it, and I would say, like to that point, um, that that goes back to a marriage. If you look at a true marriage, even outside just the Bible, the way marriage originally was designed was an ultimate commitment between two people. That's what a true marriage is, um, and it's a husband. It's, it should be a husband and a wife. And if you're truly committed to that person and you love them wholeheartedly, then you're not going to go off and do things like that. Go cheat on, cheat on them. You're not going to go off and, and, and do things to intentionally hurt them. Because when you do that, then you're not really loving that person in the way the marriage calls you to love that person. But think, think about this. If you're in a marriage and both people are okay with you having other partners and doing things that you know, you shouldn't do, and they have no, no remorse in that, then you're really not fully committed to one another. Because whether you want to believe it or not, having sexual relations with another person, you give your, your give, you give part of yourself to that person. And there's an emotional tie you do in that, in that moment, because you, you can't help that. Your body naturally, it's not just physical, it's also emotional and a spiritual thing, because God created it that way. So even if 
you want to claim that, oh, it's just meaningless sex or whatever, it's really not. And if you truly love that person in the marriage, then you're going you're gonna to save that part, that really emotional and intimate part, only between you and that spouse. And if you, if you go outside of that, and I would say you probably don't really love that person the way marriage calls you to love them. Um, and that's what God is saying here in the Bible, too, that, yes, I'm not all about just following rules and doing this, 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 and checking this off a box, but if you truly love me, then you're going to try to learn my ways and how I keep you to live, and you're going to seek to follow that. And through that, you're going to build a strong relationship with me. And if you make a mistake, just like a marriage, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to, I'm going to come back, and, and, and we're, going to build, we're going to come stronger out of this together. But you should actively be trying to live for him. Does that make sense? Um, because, again, if you truly love somebody, you're going to do whatever you can not to hurt that person and to love them in the right way. And the more, and the more you, you follow God, the more you love him, the more you're going to try to follow what the Bible says. Now, I want you guys to also think about this. The rules in the Bible, you know, quote-unquote rules, you could say, the things that God tells us not to do, it's not because God doesn't love us or doesn't want us to have fun. It's because God knows if you do these things outside of the way he designed them, there's going to be major consequences for that. Think about this. Think about what, like, like, because you mentioned earlier, like, a gay marriage. What about you know, the No, think about, think about this. So, like, with, with, with gay marriage, that's a popular one. If, if you participate in that, then there's a high chance of you getting, obviously, sexually transmitted diseases. And you think, well, why is that? It's because we're not naturally supposed to do that. Same thing with, same thing with if you have multiple partners. You're at a high chance of having sexually transmitted diseases. Why? Because we're not created to do that. And so that's what God has told us in the Bible. I created you in a certain way, and if you live that way, you'll have ultimate joy and fulfillment. When you start going outside those boundaries, bad things happen. Uh, and natural, naturally sinful consequences happen. And so he's trying to prevent us from going down that road. Because even if you don't get a sexually transmitted disease, most people that are in these kind of sinful relationships, they're not necessarily the happiest people. Uh, they, they, a lot of times they struggle with depression. A lot of times they struggle with anxiety. A lot of times they go through things mentally and emotionally and spiritually that they, they, don't, they shouldn't have to go through. And it's because... They're not living the right lifestyle. And then they blame other things inside them. They try to fill themselves up with other things. They keep trying to seek approval for their lifestyle. And one of the reasons they try to keep seeking approval, I think, for their lifestyle is because they know inherently down deep that it's not right. And that something's wrong about this. And so, you know, even with any kind of relationship or anything like that that God does not participate in, it's not because God doesn't love you, wants you to have fun. Because he knows you participate in that. It's going to lead to destruction and misery in the end. And it'd be fun for a little while, but eventually it's going to lead to some bad things. And that's why partly why our world today has the highest anxiety rates of all time, because we participated in so much of the sin, and all of us have probably lived certain ways we shouldn't have lived. And when you go off of God's path for our life, it causes anxiety, causes depression, and other consequences happen. Yes, so Aaron? Well, 
Well, it's not God's design, obviously, um, for, for humanity. But also, you think about this. You know, marriage back in the Bible was, and it still is today, too. I mean, the Bible is a living book. was between a man and a woman. And a woman is created differently than a man, okay? Not just physically, but also emotionally and, and spiritually. And so the qualities that a woman brings to a marriage is different than the qualities that a man brings to, to a marriage. Men are naturally wired a certain way. Women are naturally wired a certain way. And there's obviously similarities there. But when a marriage comes together, you have two uh, people that complement each other perfectly coming together. So she brings one thing to the marriage, he brings one thing to the marriage, and you become one, as it says in the Bible, and you become even stronger as a power together. And so in a sense, it's that, you know, God God has all, you know, the traits and abilities that anybody has. Obviously, God has it, has it all. But women are naturally stronger in certain things. Men are naturally stronger in other things. And so when those two come together, it's like putting two of God's greatest kind of gifts and characteristics together and making one stronger being than what you would be separately. Now, if you have a man and a man, a woman or a woman, that's impossible to happen. And then also marriage, again, was meant to produce children as well in the Bible. You obviously can't do that, um, you know, man, man, woman, or woman, at least not together. You can't do that. Yeah. Creation is also uh, very sinful right now. So you think about this in the fall of humanity, it wasn't just humans that fell to sin. When humans fell to sin, the whole world became corrupt with sin. So creation also became corrupt with sin. So even ant like animals turned on people and started attacking people. So things like that that animals do, you know, things that you see in nature. You know, it's not necessarily that that's because that's how God originally created it. It's because our world is corrupt now with sin, and it's a dying, decaying world, and you have this kind of thing naturally happening, well, unnaturally, but now it's kind of regularly happening with animals um, because of, of sin. All the kind of ties back to sin. Here, let me pause this real quick, though. So.